Hold on to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Woe is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Jimmy Clark. Welcome on this election night edition of the Joey Clark Radio Hour. If you've missed any past episodes, if you want to keep up with the show, you can't listen all night. Check out the Joey Clark Radio Hour on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. And it's really a day a lot of people, in particular a lot of partisans, have been looking forward to. Ever since Donald Trump was elected president of the United States, ever since Donald Trump was sworn in as president of the United States, and relentlessly since those days, the political parties, in particular the Democratic Party, have been posturing to take away some of his power. Many people have been trying to position, what is this midterm election really about? Now, my personal view is, I don't think it's the most important election in history. Heck, and even Donald Trump agreed with me. He said maybe the election back in 2016 was the most important. Trump always providing a good laugh. But what does the Bible say? There's nothing new under the sun. I think like every election, there will be consequences. Like every election, people will express, in a fairly crude way, their vision for the country. All sorts of people will jockey for what even tonight's election result will mean, but a few weeks later, we won't even be looking at the election results or the vote. We'll be looking at now new public opinion polls because that's how this game is played, folks. And as a malcontented libertarian, I like to remind myself of, well, people like me who came before me that I'm not just some oddball. And maybe you're an oddball too, whether you voted or you did not vote. Whether you voted for the Republican or the Democrat or some helpless and hopeless third party. I like to remind myself that even if you do vote, you might have the suspicion that it's not really giving full voice to what you see and what you hope for this nation and for yourself. So I like to read some cynical quotes. It just, it puts me in a funny mood. It makes me laugh a little bit. It's some dark humor. So, you know, humor me for a second, folks. If a politician found he had cannibals among his constituents, he would promise them missionaries for dinner. It's true. 
Oh, democracy is the theory that the common people know what they want and deserve to get it good and hard. One of my favorites. The whole aim of practical politics is to keep the populace alarmed and hence clamorous to be led to safety by menacing it with an endless series of hobgoblins. All of them imaginary. That brings me to an article put out today by the president of the Mises Institute over in Auburn, Alabama. A great institute for economic freedom, Austrian economics in particular, and political liberty. But today, Jeff Dice writes that the most important election of our lifetime, trademarked, may be a referendum on Trump. Or Kavanaugh, or the Kavanaugh hearings. Or hashtag me too. It might be a referendum on the migrant caravans or any number, Jeff Dice's own words, of manufactured outrages since the 2016 presidential election. But unfortunately, and I really agree with Mr. Dice here, what this midterm election is not a referendum on, again, I repeat, not a referendum on, is foreign policy. Not just the foreign policy successes or failures, because it's not really about President Trump, but more about personalities later. But this referendum is not really on a robust discussion around foreign policy, about the Federal Reserve and the role of monetary policy. We're not really having a discussion on debt or on spending in general, in particular the biggest drivers of our spending that makes us very insecure, not only fiscally, but in many, many ways, spending unentitlement programs. We're not talking about spying unless it somewhat touches on the abuses of the FISA court having to do with the Donald Trump transition team. But the larger warnings that have been coming for years, five years now, starting with Edward Snowden, and whistleblowers like William Binney before that who helped design these surveillance programs. We're not having a robust discussion, and we're not voting on that. We're not voting on civil liberties. We're not voting, unfortunately, in this midterm election, I'm much having to do with the question of whether or not we should be governed, especially from Washington, D.C. You know, Donald Trump in many ways was a wrecking ball to the establishment of the Republicans and the Democrats. He was a cultural wrecking ball. And for that, I love this president. He took the fake etiquette. It took the fake manners and political speak of the establishment class, flipped it on its head, and said, you're all a bunch of morons and losers. Donald Trump talked like most Americans talk. And he's got the money to back up that mouth. But by any objective measure, leaving Trump and the Trump train out of it, for now, But by any objective measure, think about the establishment in the Republican and the Democratic parties. The ideological and policy disagreements between the Republicans and Democrats are not that significant. Like the Democrats just put out their new tax plan. What, they want to raise the top rate 3%. They want to lower the deduction for the death tax. They want to add a little bit more tax on corporations. Now, all these things I greatly oppose. In fact, 
I'm more radical than I think your average Republican because they don't think it's possible. But I think the income tax is an incredibly immoral form of taxation. I would love to get rid of the income tax altogether. And don't get me started on the death tax, the estate tax. It should be done away with completely. You see a tax, you want to cut it, I support you. But the point is, the Democrats and the Republicans, they have slight differences. Things like taxes on things like health care. And we argue fervently over these differences. But both parties... The establishment running and controlling this country, bought and paid for by the rich special interest class, the crony class. They all accept the central tenets of domestic and foreign interventionism. That the government has the prerogative, has the power to intervene in any aspect of your life. And if somebody abroad upsets us, the government, the federal government, must intervene to make things right all over the globe. Whether it's from the Straits of Taiwan to the Suez Canal. Or the Donbass in Ukraine. Or helping the Saudis bomb Yemen on the Arabian Peninsula. We've got our fingers in everything. And again, it comes back home. Both parties, for the most part are not pulling back this federal government, this soft despotism that is constantly creeping into your lives. Both accept the federal government as the chief organizing principle for American society. And both view politics, both parties, as simply a fight for control of that federal government. Unfortunately, today's midterm elections are about style rather than substance, party rather than principle, and power rather than the ideas. And I'm not talking about your average American voter who's trying to make the best possible decision they can, given the lesser of many evils, not just two. I'm talking about the parties. Unfortunately, Americans do not much argue about whether we are governed by D.C., whether or not we should be governed by the federal government from that swamp up there in the Potomac at all. We sometimes only slightly argue over how we should be governed by the federal government. And those are the slight differences in taxation and health care policy and foreign policy and all the different things we find reasons to bicker about it, Democrats or Republicans, what should we do on immigration? And the like. Like this caravan issue. It's very frustrating. Solve the damn problem. Solve it. Instead, we go from crisis to crisis to crisis and we don't actually seem to solve anything. So we don't argue over whether or not Americans should be governed from the federal government. That the federal government is the chief organizer for American society. We a little bit argue, very passionately, no doubt, over how the federal government should be used. But unfortunately, what do we yell and scream about the most? What really gets people riled up when it comes to our politics these days? 
It's not about whether we're governed by D.C. It's not about how we're governed by D.C. What we argue over viciously is who governs us from D.C. Which team? Which person? That brings me to the approach. And, you know, sometimes I get called a, a liberal by conservative folks. Sometimes I get called a right-wing nut by my left-wing friends. And I'm, you know, happy to take uh, the labels and the licks. But my general approach has been not to argue over the personality. Because the more people look to support or oppose some person over who governs us... I think the less honest and charitable we will be in the respect of actually talking out policy differences. We have to solve our debt problems, folks. We have to solve the entitlement issue staring us all in the face. We have to reckon with our obligations abroad, and not just from crisis to crisis, but a general discussion over what is the role of the United States military in this world. There are major issues facing us. But the more we look to Team A or Team B, the less we will pay attention to what's actually happening on the playing field. Let alone how this bloody game is all played. How it's hurting all of us involved. Too many people are looking at the scoreboard first. That's what we'll be doing tonight, all of us politicos. Seeing the early returns. What are exit polls saying? We'll look at the scoreboard first and then create our own play-by-play after the fact. Here's what I mean by personality. It's something the Republicans did very badly. When President Obama signed the Affordable Health Care Act, the Patient Protection and Affordable Health Care Act, many people seem to find it more important to blame and brand Obama's name on the law rather than argue why it would be a travesty. And even though this did prove an effective political strategy, election strategy back in 2010... Helping propel even Trump to victory a few years ago. The GOP fell on its face with a replacement plan. Beyond the dirty pool of electoral politics, Obamacare wasn't really about Obama. Why is Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act so bad? Because it's an encroachment of the government, of the federal government, on people's health care, eroding people's freedoms, upping the cost. And really, it's a handout to all sorts of major health care corporations. From every different angle, you can argue that the Obamacare law or the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act was not the best way to create quality health care goods and services. And so it is for me personally, I don't really care about whether or not somebody is infringing on our rights, whether or not somebody's advancing a bad policy. I care little who or what party infringes on people's rights and liberties, but I care about the infringement all the same. My approach since the election is not to forever stand for or against Donald Trump is the great messiah or the new political evil. He's Hitler again. My approach has been to try to stay somewhat independent. To stand for liberty and prosperity. To keep my eye on the horizon. 
and not get caught up in the daily back and forth. Though it is fun, no doubt. I try to find some intellectual independence from the political factions and the shadow of Trump's presidency, for better or for worse. Looking back now, I think Donald Trump is better than Hillary Clinton. But that's not the real argument we should be having. And honestly, you can praise Trump for a particular policy like cutting taxes. Like trying to find peace on the Korean Peninsula. Without wholly supporting him in everything he does. And you can chastise Trump for a particular policy like some of the way he talks about trade. I'm not a fan. I'm suspect about his approach to the Middle East in terms of foreign policy. But you can question him on a particular policy without wholly opposing him and calling him Hitler. And most importantly, and I think this is the healthiest approach of all, ladies and gentlemen, you can be wholly indifferent to much of what Trump does and says while still caring about the future of America. In fact, I think the news does it too much. They're in a codependent relationship with Donald Trump. The more he insults him, the more their ratings go up. And instead of talking responsibly about the future of this nation and policies that actually affect 300-plus Americans, we try to play on the emotions of a small group of Americans in order to win that election, an election like tonight. I get it. There's a lot at stake. That's why we worry about who gets elected. We worry about who gets elected because supposedly they're going to carry out the things they promised us. But instead of informing us about who's up, who's down, which party wants the power, which party is out of power, I sometimes worry that we, uh, we're arguing over the shadow, the stuff that doesn't actually matter, the endless series of hobgoblins they use to stir us up with monsters in the night to rile us up. Some real, some perceived. You know, there's an old Aesop fable, and I've shared it before, but it's about the traveler and his ass. A traveler hired an ass, a donkey, to convey him to a distant place. The day being intensely hot and the sun shining in its strength, the traveler stopped to rest and sought shelter from the heat under the shadow of the ass. As this afforded only protection for one, and as the traveler and the owner of the ass both claimed it, a violent dispute arose between them as to which of them had the right to the shadow. The owner maintained that he had let the ass only, not his shadow. The traveler asserted that he had, with the hire of the ass, hired his shadow also. The quarrel proceeded from words to blows, and while the men fought, the ass galloped off. We can argue all day long, as we probably should to a certain degree, over who who should control the power in Washington, D.C. The power that intervenes in our lives here domestically and intervenes in the lives of millions abroad across, across this earth. But uh, at a certain point, if we continue to argue only over who controls the power... We might lose it altogether. The very reason why we argue over power. We might lose 
the very basis that makes this country so great and exceptional, liberty and our prosperity. You know, I would like to think people mean well, even people I just vehemently disagree with. And I've admitted to you, as much as I am a malcontented libertarian, I judge how I feel by how pissed off I get. It's a good way to judge things, right? And I have to say, when I hear Bernie Sanders talk, or I hear Elizabeth Warren talk, or I hear former presidents, it's nice to hear that, Barack Obama speak, they drive me insane. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she might have a sexy name, but she's, for lack of a better word, stupid. At least when it comes to all sorts of things, like the latest. How are you going to pay for uh, expansion, Medicare for all? She found that question puzzling. Though that is the question. How do you pay for all these things? And I suppose as we go into 2019, whether or not the Democrats take the House, whether or not the Republicans keep control of all three branches of government, I suppose as we get into the lead-up to the 2020 election, we might... I hope, have more discussion over the actual policies and big issues facing the nation in the long run. But I think the actual solution to our problems is to reduce the power in D.C., to not question who is going to run Washington, D.C., who's going to run the House, who's going to run the Senate, who's going to have the majority of the Supreme Court, and who's going to have that warm butt in the presidential chair. I mean, we fight over our history. We fight over what the Constitution means, the Electoral College itself, and all sorts of other constitutional mechanisms. We fight over immigration and birthright citizenship. We're now fighting over sex and gender and race and class and sexuality itself. Every aspect of American society has been politicized. It's really a triumph of the progressive movement. And in this environment, it's no wonder that democratic elections in this republic have become really a means of just beating the other team over the head. It's short of outright violence and warfare, thank God. But voting at this point doesn't heal our divisions or produce compromise. Just think about what politics has been like since Donald Trump won. And it's not Trump's fault, folks. It's not. It's not one side's fault. Division is not our problem. That's just a symptom. A real problem is that we're all a little bit corrupted because we realize we have to fight for this power. Politically vanquished people don't just go away. It's precisely why Hillary Clinton and the progressives were blindsided by Brexit and by Trump's election in the first place. There are more deplorables, I suppose, than progressives imagined. And we're hanging out. No, oh, did I say I'm deplorable? Well, I'm kind of deplorable. But I would say to fellow deplorables that uh, you could also be blindsided. The American people, the big group of the people, they're a fickle beast. They can change their mind quite quickly. Really, if you get down to it, Donald Trump had millions of votes and Hillary Clinton had millions of votes. But really, it came down to a few battleground states and about 700,000, 800,000 people decided who would be the next president of the United States. 
And those people can be well, convinced one way or another whether or not the choice they made in 2016 was the right choice. And we'll find out a little bit of that tonight. But I hope we stop arguing over just the who. More over not just the how. Hope we start asking ourselves whether or not we should be governed from D.C. in the first place. We can avoid catastrophe if we actually go back to our roots as a country. That is to federalism. The principle of subsidiarity. Apply it at every level of our nation. The very few decisions, only the most important and broadest political decisions should be made in D.C. Most things should be local. California should go their way. Alabama can go its way. Texas is not the same as Washington State or New York State. And they should probably have different local policies as long as they protect basic human rights. The idea is to decentralize power. Let our people, our diverse people of 300 million plus, breathe. But if we insist on a one-size-fits-all plan out of D.C., decided by a very slim majority, applied top-down from D.C., we will fail here at home. In the same way, nation-building has failed us abroad. We don't have to do this. And my hope is that the president's heart is in the right place. But more than the president, my hope is that there are people in all sorts of parties whose hearts are in the right place. That there are things we can actually work on in the midst of trying to vanquish one another at the ballot box. There are real things we can accomplish. And instead of arguing over the shadow or the shadow of power up in D.C., let's actually realize that uh, we don't have to have this fight. But I suspect we're going to continue to fight. Don't get me wrong. I suspect it. And I'll be happy to see whether or not the common people know what they want this evening. What exactly do they want? Do the common people deserve to get it good and hard that the Democrats have taken over the House, maybe even the Senate? Or do the common people want the Republicans to maintain control? Well, I'll tell you what, whether that either scenario happens, whatever scenario happens, I'm going to have some high expectations of these people. Let's not give them a pass just because the other side's a bunch of bums. Especially when they're not following through on their best promises that they made for years. So we will see. Before we hit this break here, I want to tell folks about my good friend helps bring the show to you every night, Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group. He wants to be your buyer's agent. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means he's looking out for you, the buyer's best interest. So if you are thinking of buying and owning a home, think Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group, 322-0662. Again, that number, 322-0662. Eddie Bader can take that... That emotional decision, which it is always an emotional decision when that much money is at stake in buying a home, and he can give you options, different price points. He can inform you about maybe possible repairs, negotiate that in the price. He can look at how much the appraisal is going to cost, whether or not a place has a good history. He can really be your specialist, your buyer's agent. And the best part, it's free, folks. 
How can I say that? Well, because residential transactions here, the seller pays closing costs. So give Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group a call. If you're looking to buy or own a home, Eddie Bader is your agent. 322-0662. Again, that number, 322-0662. I'll be right back after this. Joey Clark. Joey Clark. Oh, welcome back. You're listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Here's another cynical quote for you here on election night. Polls about to close across the nation. But I love this one. Hmm, democracy. The pathetic belief in the collective wisdom of individual ignorance. <laughs> I gotta love H.L. Mencken. For every complex problem, there's an answer that is clear, simple, and wrong. Yes, Ladies and gentlemen, this is a complex world. And, you know, I wish everybody the best. Vote for whomever you like, but we have to just stop arguing over who and really get down into the beliefs here. And I think a lot of people agree with that. I'm preaching to the choir. And let's go to the phones, 272-9228. Talk to Doug H. Hey, Doug, how are you? Hey, doing good. Yeah, um, yeah, what you were just saying before the break, I uh, liked, it was... uh, echoed a lot of uh, the Tenth Amendment Center. Basically, the state's rights to uh, govern themselves. Uh, abs- and what they're particularly focused on is calling it Article 5 of the Constitution, Constitutional Convention. Right. The purpose of, of creating amendments to the Constitution that have to be ratified by 38 states. So the two that keep coming up the most often out of that, and they've held a couple of mock conventions already. The, the articles that keep coming out are one, a balanced budget, and two, term limits for Congress. Right. And then it gets more obtuse from there. But and I would I support I would support both of those. Yeah, I mean, of course, I'm, I'm sure they've heard about the, and you've heard about the fears of a runaway convention. I mean, it's kind of how we got the initial Constitution. Um, but, yes, I... I I would support both of those amendments. Um, it it would just be uncharted territory because we've never had that sort of Article Five convention, um, and right. I'd be interested in it. I also I'm familiar with the Tenth Amendment uh, Institute, and I like their approach to also nullifying and trying to pull back states' rights. I I love the Tenth Amendment a lot, and so you might have certain states in the southeast saying trying to nullify certain gun control regulations like i believe tennessee did but then you've also you know got colorado nullifying federal pot laws marijuana laws so it can be a broad right. spectrum of thought on this right i, I agree with that too um but uh, anyway uh i enjoy the show and uh thanks very much the uh but i thought uh, that would It'd be something for your listeners to check out if they're if they're not familiar. Absolutely, thank you, thank you for the call, Doug. Yeah, and folks, check check out the Tenth Amendment Center. Tenth uh, Amendment Center I called it the Institute earlier, uh, but it's great folks over there. They've done great work. I think it just started with one guy who's blogging, and they want to do something about it and really make an argument and a, a place where people could go to to actually live and implement the Tenth Amendment in their own states and their own lives. And you know, I love the Tenth Amendment. Don't get me wrong. One of my, it's nearly one of my favorite 
amendments, but there are a lot of, there's so many amendments in the Constitution. If I could only choose one, I don't know. I think my favorite amendment, is, is it the first? It's a good one. It's a really good amendment. The second amendment. Now that's a heck of an amendment. Fourth amendment's pretty darn good too. But I think my favorite amendment is the Ninth Amendment. Maybe I need to start a Ninth Amendment center. Maybe I need to start trying to inspire young, legal, impressionable legal minds to go into law schools in order to advance the Ninth Amendment and its points and purpose in the courts. That could be a good calling for myself. That or, you know, repealing the income tax. I think that might be able to work. And the reason I like the Ninth Amendment so much, especially on a day like today, where we're all voting. And I have seen plenty and people happy and good for you folks. Like I said, do as you please today. Vote for whomever you like. Joey's going to love you all the same. But I've seen so many I voted stickers and posts that sometimes there's one, there's one thing people say about voting that gets me a little nervous doesn't upset me it just kind of makes me oh come on man really think about and be careful with your words that i made my voice hurt today that the right to vote is our most sacred right i have to disagree don't confuse your actual voice with a small share in how power will be used And please don't forget about, I think, even more precious rights than, again, that small say in how power will be used. A very small say. With the incredibly precious individual right to speak your mind freely. A precious right to worship and freedom of religion. Freedom of the press. The freedom, yes, in the Second Amendment, to own a firearm. To protect yourself and defend yourself. These natural rights. They undergird any question of who or what you're voting for. And that's why I love the Ninth Amendment so much. Because it suggests that all these rights we've listed in the First Amendment and the Second Amendment, the Third and the Fourth and the Fifth, and so on and so forth, it is not an exhaustive list that your liberty is presumed in this country. And we have just made a few of those liberties explicit in the first few amendments. But your liberties are as numerous as the stars. And any government that would presume it is in fact the authority, unless it is expressly said that you have liberty, is in fact not a just government. Well, isn't that the place we're at now? Especially in terms of economics. Because every aspect of our lives is up for regulation in some way or another. That's due to some esoteric Supreme Court case in the 30s, which we don't have time to go into. And I don't have the expertise to really go into. But the Ninth Amendment suggests, and I hope we can inspire more people to take it up in the courts, to remember what it says. And to have, yes, the... The priority, the perspective, that before we ever go out and vote, and yes, voting's important. It's better than having a king. It's better than having an emperor. Being able to pick 
who supposedly will make our decisions at the political level. It's an important thing. But it reminds me of a famous essay on the concept of liberty for the ancients versus the moderns, or something like that. That ancient liberty that you would see expressed by the Greeks or the Romans. Ancient liberty was the idea that you got to share in how political power was used. So you got to vote. Certain citizens were able to vote. And that allowed for political freedom. But a new idea started to come about during the Enlightenment. The idea that sort of took Christian virtues and the Christian experience and the basic dignity of the individual along with some other ideas that come from the Greek and the Roman. And you've got this beautiful fusion that suggested that liberty isn't just having a share in how power is used, having a, a slight say. That's what we're doing today on Election Day. If you vote it, you have a slight say in how power will be used, not only against or for you, but also to your fellow citizens and to people around the world. But that idea of freedom was tempered by another idea of liberty, as found in the Bill of Rights and all the first few amendments. That the majority can't vote on everything. And that the very presumption of why you're allowed to vote is that there are certain things that are sacred and unalienable, no matter how many people vote. 99 million to one. You have a right to your life, a right to the liberty that flows from that life. And to pursue that life and that liberty to the best of your ability. As you see fit. And so I love, and we should not lose perspective, that liberty is actually those things, the ones that are really important are those things that aren't touched by any king or tyrant, whether it's a president or not. Whether a tyrant is a single man or the tyrant is a majority. There are certain things that should not be touched if you want to be calling yourself a free society. So when I hear folks say that I've made my voice heard today and if you didn't go vote for Martha Roby or Kay Ivey that somehow you have given up your voice, it's absurd. We all have a voice. And what really influences these elections isn't necessarily the vote, it's ideas. And news publications, news networks, you have a voice also within your family circles, within your friends. If you know your circle and you really study the ideas of this world, and you really know what you want, that is much more powerful than voting for this or that representative, though that's also important. And I harp on this because if we start to confuse our innate liberty, our freedoms, and for instance, in the First Amendment, it says the freedom of speech. Why is that T-H-E, the the, the the, that article right there important? Because the freedom of speech exists before any government is instituted. And governments are upheld to hold those rights sacred to secure them, 
But the idea that we are allowed to freely speak without somebody imposing their will on you violently, and certainly not some authority, government authority, the idea that your rights precede any government, your liberty is innate. But if we start to confuse those innate liberties, like the freedom to speak and to think as you wish and worship as you wish, to trade as you wish, and to follow your own path with others or as a hermit while you're lonesome, if we confuse those innate liberties with political power, I have a fear we're going to lose them. And that those innate liberties won't be gone because they are, in fact, innate, but they will be trampled on. They will be trampled into the dirt in the name of the latest hobgoblin we the people must vanquish. You know, it's fun sometimes. Politics is a fun. It's kind of a blood sport. It's vicious. It's really democracy as we call it. I know we live in a republic, but we have democratic elections decide who will represent us in this republic. And the more we've become democratic and the more it's nationalized these issues, it's really the sport of propaganda. Our democracy. Or, excuse me, public relations. But why do you think you're always seeing these poll numbers in the media? Why do you think all these pundits and politicians and strategists are all talking incessantly, for the most part, on cable news networks and radio? Because they're trying to influence you. They're using the microphone, the television screen, now the internet, and even robots online to influence how you think. So it's really become this sport of hmm, how can we manipulate people's thinking? How can we play on their emotions and pull on their heartstrings? And some people bite a Klein and sinker. Other people know what's going on. They know they're being manipulated. They know they're being forced to vote this or that team, this or that party, but they, and they're, they're kind of, they have to do it, but they don't feel good about it. In fact, some people will write in names. I had somebody tell me off air that on the races they didn't care about, they wrote in porn star names. Oh my. I had one guy, Mac. And Mac, I don't know what I did to make you want to punish me. Mac wrote me in to be governor of the great state of Alabama. I don't know if I'm qualified, Mac. Certainly not as qualified as Kay Ivey. She's been serving very well. Well, at least better than Robert Bentley, right? Just don't, you know, sleep with the staff, Kay. I don't think I should be governor. Why would you want to punish me like that, Mac? And of course people will say, you just threw away your vote. But this is the point, folks. That if somebody has the right to vote, that means they have the right to do with their life what they wish. And if they look at what's on offer from the political class from the political parties, and they find it lacking, well, they can do what they please. doesn't mean they've given up their freedoms. doesn't mean they've given up their voice. In fact, it might mean that they look at the options on a ballot and go, hmm, that looks like a way to restrict my voice and what I actually think. And we can play a game of the lesser of two evils, but I don't know if it'll serve us very well. I think the greatest thing, and I know I harp on this all the time, that we can do, we're going to fight this soft despotism 
that is creeping from that federal government in D.C. As people say, the most important election ever, we must be on the right side of history. History will judge us. I mean, the more I hear stuff like that, the more I want to, like, hug the horse of history and stop it from being beaten to death. How long was me we tongue-lash history in the public square, hoping to goad history in the direction of our own conceits and ambitions? You know, history doesn't really care. It's we who care about history, obviously, not the other way around. And by saying we wish to be on the right side of it, we often mean, you know, we hope to find favor in other people's minds, especially those who aren't yet living. We hope we're doing the right thing, and people later will judge us. But we can't even, we don't even really know that game. We don't know necessarily what tomorrow will bring. The future is very frail, fragile. What we can control is ourselves, and in particular, our character. And this is what I'm really worried about. I'm serious when I'm saying that power corrupts us. And the more we have to argue over who will get power in D.C., the more it corrupts us against our neighbors. You know, people talk about this. It didn't used to be like this. Democrats and Republicans could sit down for dinner, let alone not be harangued and run out of a restaurant. There used to be a time where you could have a friendly discussion and disagreement. But the arguments were at least charitable or somewhat thought out. I think the more, though, that it becomes just a sheer fight over who's going to win. For Trump or against Trump. For Clinton or against Clinton. It just doesn't serve us well. So if we instead look to, am I judging this world, my country, because I love it, the best I can in a charitable way? Am I being a virtuous person? Am I showing character in how I approach not just my personal life? I think most people do strive for that. They strive to provide for themselves, for their families, for their friends. I'm not talking about the personal stuff. Because if you don't work on the personal stuff, you're not going to do well in this world. It's just the hard truth. The hard truth I'm learning myself the hard way. So obviously, if you don't have character, you're not going to do well personally. There are too many people out there who I think when they don't work on their own character, say, ah, I'll find salvation in the public arena. Ah, instead of looking in the mirror, I'll go and try to reform and save the world. Just remember that, you know, the urge to save the world is almost always a false front to rule the world. That instead of looking at what we can do to be better people for ourselves in our limited circle... We look to reform everything. And oftentimes I see these politicians like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and in some ways, you know, when uh, Trump gets up there, but Trump's never claimed to be a saint. It's more the high and mighty, the moralists. When they get up there and talk about how they want to save the nation and take care of everybody, I sort of just want them to look in the mirror. Reform yourself, big boy. Is that too much to ask? For messing with my life, why don't you reform your own? 
and I'll work, I'll work on me, you work on you. Maybe we can work together on some stuff. But I don't like your tone right now. That You're either going to save me or you're going to whip me into shape. I just don't like it. I just find the whole tone of politics these days condescending, folks. They're, they're going to save us from how difficult life is. I'm sorry, life has never been better. And yes, there's still suffering, there's still tragedy, still terrible things in the world because that's life. But there has been no better time to be alive than right now, being a human being in 2018. It's a great thing. Even for the worst of us, it's a great thing to be alive. So let's not let the politics take over everything. And we'll find out tonight what the common people want. Because apparently they know what they want. And whether it's Republicans maintaining control of the Congress or Democrats taking over the House, I'll be surprised if... I'll put it this way. For the last year and a half, I've expected Democrats to take the House, Republicans to gain seats in the Senate. If something different than that happens... I'll be happily surprised, even if it's going to be a pain in the neck, especially if Democrats are uh, taking more power over. But we shall see. We shall see what the common people, knowing what they want, are deserving to get good and hard. Should be fun, no doubt. And when you take a step back, some of us are lucky. We get to watch this crap show. (laughs) And what a show it's been over the last two years since President Trump. Enough to make you chuckle a little bit. So what an election day. What an election day. All we have really to do now is sit back, wait, have an adult beverage, a libation. Maybe snuggle up with somebody you love and care for. That might be what I'm doing tonight. And relax. You'll see the news in the morning. I'll see the news in the morning. And we'll be back here to bitch about it all over again. But that's what we do. It's fun. Even though it's incredibly frustrating sometimes. But My name is Joey Clark. Thank you for listening. If you want to check out the whole show or archive shows, check out the Joey Clark Radio Hour on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Follow me on the Book of Faces. It's just Joey Clark. I'm wearing a mustache this month of November. No, not in honor of Freddie Mercury, but for men's health. It's a good cause. I'll be back tomorrow night, folks. Until then, ta-ta. Joey Clark.